This episode is brought to you by Evermill. Evermill makes the world's most elegant spice rack that features text-to-refill organic spices in compostable packets, as well as a suite of kitchen products that help you cook so you can focus on sharing meals with the ones you love. This episode is brought to you by Equipped. Equipped is a modern luxury fitness brand that creates stylish, compact, portable, and versatile fitness equipment that will inspire you to move anytime, anywhere, whether you have half a minute or half an hour. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, your host of the Stairway to CEO podcast. This is episode 148, and I sat down today with Hans Schreit, the co-founder and CEO of Wonderkex. Based in Austin, Texas, Wonderkex is a modern, fun, and delicious cookie company on a mission to create safe spaces. Hans talks about what it was like growing up in Guatemala City in a Catholic household as the oldest of four, why he moved to Austin to build Wonderkex with his partner, how a random tweet produced over 700 orders in minutes, and why it's important to put yourself in investors' shoes. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, and check us out on stairwaytoceo.com, where you can catch up on past episodes and read product reviews on our blog. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Hans. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm super excited to share your story in building Wonderkex. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thank you, Lee. I'm so excited to be here. Really appreciate you inviting me. It took forever for us to align this, but I'm so happy that we did. <laughs> it did take a while. We met each other how many years ago? I think like two or three years a ago? Years, a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was. feels like it's such a different time. I know. And you've been through so much since then. So I'm really excited to kind of, you know, hear your story, share that, but also kind of fast forward to what you've been up to recently. I know there's a lot of exciting news. Hopefully you can share. But let's start at the beginning. Where are you from originally? I'm from Guatemala, born and raised. I lived there up until four years ago. Then we moved to Austin. Yeah. So you're in Austin now. And what was it like growing up in Guatemala? I mean... It's a hard question for me to answer sometimes because I'm a gay man. And part of the reason that I left was because as a gay man, I couldn't live my life the way I wished I did. That is the motivating factor to a lot of this. On the one hand, I was very privileged. I, Guatemala is a developing country. I was very privileged. I never had to experience the type of, say, violence that some people do. But it's still hard. It's still a lot of, you get this idea of how you wish your life was because you are really into this, a very conservative, in my case, Catholic, very Catholic, it's a very Catholic country. And this idea of the expectations foisted upon you. 
And then you grow up and you realize this is just not going to work for me. It's not how it's going to be. So it's hard in that regard. There is very little, or I think it's better now, but there was very little space to say, this is who I can be and what I can be. And also you spend a lot of time code switching, which is so exhausting. You spend so much energy just speaking in a slightly and slightly, slightly lower voice standing in a different way making sure you're not sitting in this way making sure do i look like basically you're asking yourself like am i passing all the time and that is so exhausting and you don't realize passing passing what like the test like you're trying to pretend you're straight basically yeah passing a straight like basically like in my case in my particular case if i don't open my mouth and i don't move much no one will notice so oh my gosh uh, so you're so (laughs) conscious of all these little tiny things Oh, yeah, it's exhausting. Wow. But you don't realize how exhausting it is because it's all you know. So anyway, in the regard, it was hard. On the other hand, it's like such a colorful place. And we can appreciate it better now that we left. Such a colorful place. And there's like so much nature and so much color and flavor. And it's something that the same way you normalize the bad things and you normalize the good ones and you're not excited about them. And then you come back and you realize like, wow, this place is amazing in so many ways. So it's... uh, I have a complicated relationship with my with my home country, basically. I see. That's how I would put it. <laughs> sounds yeah. very complicated. Yeah. And it sounds like you now having lived in Austin and you feel free being, you can maybe appreciate the vibrance and the colors and the other aspects maybe of the, the country it came from. Yeah. Yes, the grass is always greener on the other side, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You're on the other side. So... What, what kind of things were you into as a kid? What were your interests? And, you know, what was your family like? Did you have siblings? What did your parents do? What was it like? Yeah, I'm the oldest of four siblings. My poor mother had four kids in six years, which I cannot even conceive how that worked. And I was the oldest one. And wow. as a kid, I was like this artistic kid. Definitely my mom trying to get me to play soccer. No, karate, swimming, no. The Boy Scouts, no. I wanted to paint and like do, I was very creative, very crafty ever since I, ever since I remember that was my thing. And there's something to be said about my parents. My parents are very Catholic, very conservative, but something that I always appreciated about them was that I was, this was back in the eighties, right? So I was not the most boyish of boys. I was not a boy's boys, if you will. I wanted to do all of these things. And the one thing that I really appreciate about my parents is that they never tried to make me into something that I was not. They tried to guide me. So, of course, there was always the offer, hey, wouldn't you like to do this? Or with directing me towards what would be more traditionally masculine, if you will. But they never forced me and they never made me feel bad because my interests were not what I expected. I was also a nerdy kid. I was, ever since I remember, I have with one of my best friends from school since kindergarten. We were like the top of the class in kindergarten. I don't know if that's a thing, but we learned to, I was the kid who learned to read faster than the rest of my classmates. And so was he, we were like the advanced readers. And ever since, ever since we had like this competition going on about who read the most and that type of thing. And And that was me. I was the kid who in the recess, I was with my book and I was happy. I didn't. I was reading my book. I wasn't probably like the most popular kid, but it's not that I didn't have anyone to talk to. So I would read. I felt absolutely at home reading. So that's how I was raised. My mom, 
she would say no to games and to toys, but she would rarely say no to a book. That was my family life. And grew up baking. That was my mom's thing for the holidays. She had like this Martha Stewart streak to her a bit. She also, she probably has about 2,000 cookbooks, probably more. And that's her thing. So that's how we learned. We really started baking cookies when I was like, I don't know, forever. For I don't remember a time before, like cookies are something for my family. Cookies are something that you make at home, not something that you buy. So, and it was something that I was inclined towards and that my parents really allowed me to do. And really, I never felt that my dad was looking at me funny because I was baking cookies or that type of thing, which I know that was the case for some of the people I know my age. So in that regard, it was great. It was a very easy, tranquil childhood, I would say. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that's really good because I'm sure, you know, a lot of kids will get pressure, you know, to do and participate in sports that they don't want to do because they don't, that's just not their interest. And it's always so sad. I feel like when parents try to pressure their kids to do stuff that's not natural for them. Yeah. So that's great. They let you follow your natural interests. Yeah, that was, I think that my parents be even being like so as conservative as they are, they, I think that deep down they have this in their hearts, like this idea of how you allow a child to be happy, to really experience the world. And it's the type of thing that I think that you carry with you. I don't think that they purpose, I don't think they read a book or were super purposeful about it. That just was the way they saw the world and it's still the way they see the world. So when their oldest child goes and sets up a pink bakery with a bubble machine at the exit, that was exciting. That was a reason to be proud. And I, I know from friends of mine that that was not the case. That was a very rare thing. And at the end of the day, it's very easy. I think it happens a lot like with uh, children, like gay children of conservative people to really say, oh, my parents were horrible. And the way I see my parents is whatever, the many ways that I didn't fit into what I assume were their expectations for me, they really made an effort with their limitations, of course, but they really made an effort to understand me as opposed to trying to make me fit into the mold. And I'm super grateful for that. So they're still super supportive and really proud of you and everything like that. The relationship's still good, even though they have the conservative beliefs and stuff like that. That's great. Because I know that sometimes when that, you know, side of people is exposed, I mean, you know, I have, you know, family members that are gay that, you know, had an issue with like my grandmother, for example. And it's really sad when religion takes over of, you know, in these relationships and can destroy them. So I'm glad to hear that that's not the case for you, for sure. No, not at all. Not at all. It's kind of funny because like we've never had the conversation, but that's a Latin America thing. You never have the conversation, but your oh, boyfriend is invited for Christmas and they will buy them Christmas present and they ask about him and everything, but you never like have to talk. <laughs> That's crazy, right? It's like the unspoken thing. It's very Latin. And they haven't asked me if I have a girlfriend for like 20 years or something. So, so they just stop asking. That's yeah, how you know yeah. they know. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone got the message. We are sparing <laughs> each other. They're comfortable conversations. We're all happy. We'll love each other. We're good. But what about you? You have a partner. I'm married, like, no, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying, that they just accept that it is there. 
they are i don't think okay. a lot of people have the, a lot of people who are like that i don't think is that they have as much trouble accepting something that they don't understand as much as they don't really have the language mm. and i think that is one of the things that we want to do with our companies that like how do we find the language to talk about those things how do we really empower people to have these conversations because at the end of the day you wish you could have that conversation but then you say like oh my god everything is so good now and it is probably a traitor of gay mankind or whatever you want to call it by putting it like that but it's like it's this all comfort I and mean, particularly living far away i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go and disrupt it but it is a very odd dynamic and i'm not quite sure how much of it is the way it works and how much is particular to my parents so probably they'll hear this and they will say oh <laughs> <laughs> confirmed <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah i'm the most confirmed bachelor ever but yeah Sure. sure. They just found that. Send them some cookies with a note in it, just in case you <laughs> needed yeah. confirmation. Yeah. No. Actually, so, what were some of your first jobs growing up? Obviously, you did baking at the house with your mom. She was a huge inspiration for that. That's awesome. You're artistic already. What were some of the first jobs that you had? I had so many jobs because I was this kid who was always trying to, I guess, entrepreneurial spirit was here. I remember that. When I was, oh my God, I must have been 11, maybe 12. And I ran my my little business at school where there, remember those stretchy, sticky hands that you would throw at people and like you would throw it at someone else's desk and pick up stick. whatever. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> totally yeah. know. So I would sell those. Yeah. It was funny because I would sell those because my baby sister had a birthday party at this place that was like five blocks from my house. And they sold those things. And I feared, hmm, I can sell. They're 80 cents. I can sell them for a dollar. And I got, I don't know how much money. I think I got like $10 worth of stuff. What would they call it at that time? And I started selling them. And I was for a little bit like the most popular kid in school because I had access to those things. And it was like, it, it was a different time. Remember we, back then we didn't have that many options. Yeah. It was like the exciting thing. And that was when I was like 11. And I was always doing something i have like the earlier iteration of wunderkeks was called brownies and blondies and i still have friends that recall i went to architecture school for two years and we failed this class all together but we had cookies because i was <laughs> making cookies for everyone and then i had like a, my own little business where we would sell t-shirts that also happened like little kiosk in a mall and then I worked for Procter & Gamble for a while, but the entrepreneurial spirit was always there. It was kind of itchy. I learned to manage that machine because that's what you do in like these gigantic corporations. You learn, you learn to work a machine basically, mm-hmm. but it was never like fulfilling or exciting. And then next thing I know, I had a couple more jobs, but it was always there, you know, like the need to like go and thinking of doing something. I was actually, I was reading someone, I got into a little fight on Twitter this morning because someone was saying that you cannot be in this ideation stage of entrepreneurship. You either have the idea or you don't. How is that a thing? And I'm like, some of us really have a hard time having a job. We want to go out there and do the things. The problem is that we don't know what the thing is. Yes. I would have loved. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I would have loved to be, not hello, but. Maybe it would be an easier path to say, I want to be a doctor. That's all I want out of life. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. 
But no, I decided to take this weird path where it's, I'm still asking myself every so often, why the hell do I do this to myself? But for the most part, it's good. It's exciting. It's, I don't think that the satisfaction of like seeing your brand in this place, like, do they ever go away? Because I see some founders that, oh my God, we got into our first independent store. And I'm like, damn it. I remember that time so vividly and how important it was to me. And I know that from the outside, it looks like some silly, oh, adorable, their cookies are in, a, in one store in Austin. And for me, it felt monumental. I think that when we're in Costco, when we're in Target, it's not going to feel like that. It's going to feel different. It's going to be exciting, but in a very, very different way. So like, but that's only me. I agree with you, though. There's a certain breed of people, and I'm not sure you know, who said that, that like, why can't you have a full-time job, I guess, while you're thinking of something else? You could, but there are people that are very entrepreneurial and kind of unemployable is what I like to call them. And I'm one of those people. I am and probably unemployable myself. Yes. Yeah. I think I've made myself unemployable. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, you just have, you know, you're probably motivated by emotion, right? And that's, I'm motivated by my emotions and passion for something as well. So if I'm not truly passionate and excited about what I'm working on, I'm just not going to work on it. <laughs> and you, and can then... tell, you can tell when someone is not like that, where they're just not into it or not into it anymore because that happens to. And you can just tell because I'm thinking some people really fall in love with the idea of being an entrepreneur and they think yes. I'm going to be my own boss. And right. it's like, that is the furthest from the truth. Right. But And you see it with particularly in the food space, you can tell. When someone is kind of winging it, it's not going to work. They're not going to make it realistically. Like you have to really be willing to walk through fire for what you're doing. And if not, then I mean, I'm so sad for them because they seem a bit lost. And I'm so sad to see it happen because I'm probably the type of people who will be happier elsewhere. But it is one thing that like is not something that the way I see it is not really a switch that you turn off and on. It's like this excitement about the thing. And it seems silly. And we actually, in our pitch, we ended up putting because someone said to us, oh, how adorable cookies. And this was like at a pitch meeting situation, round table, I remember. How adorable cookies. What's so special about your cookies? Like, it was so patronizing. And of course, they see two gay men with their adorable pink cookie box business. And they say, oh, cute. And we're like, what's so special about them? I don't know, but I sell five million of those last year. So that is the answer. And I have... That was so liberating because it made me so mad that they would diminish it. Because even if it was just the adorable cookie business, it is such care and such love that goes into those things. And I'm guessing that once you are at this stage where you are like in more secure footing, then I think it's not, I mean, obviously it's a lot of work, but then I think you get more space to criticize someone. When, when you're like just putting yourself out there with your adorable box of cookies, it is so demeaning and a lot of people who really don't see it, like they don't see why would you diminish yourself when I put this in air quotes, for instance, to sampling, like you have a career, you are an educated guy. Why are you giving away samples of cookies at this place? How can I explain to people that that is what really motivates well, you know, me? That is what yeah. I mean, this is a very common thread I've heard on the show. Like there isn't a single, all of the founders and CEOs have had experiences very early on, whether it was healthy kombucha and they're like, what are you going to, you're selling kombucha at a farmer's market now, you know, like literally getting criticized for that. 
I think the founder CEO of even Colo Power, the you know the crust, she does like oh, yeah. and frozen pizzas. I mean, that's a huge. Oh, I business. saw her. Yeah, the yolk is on them. Huge business. So she, you know, of course, was criticized too early on. Like, oh, you're making frozen pizzas. Like, <laughs> I think on so many of my episodes, there's a sense of that early on where there's always doubt from people that they're just not going to see it. And that's okay. You're the only person as the founder that has to truly believe and is excited about it and wants to work on it every day. That's what's going to drive it forward. Absolutely. And this has probably something to do with with growing up in a place like Guatemala, where the socioeconomic dynamics are very complex. Things like class mobility in Guatemala is almost inexistent. Here, you can make it. You can go up into the ladder. In Guatemala, you really can't. Like in my case, like, yeah, I'm very fortunate. Like I was, my parents were not wealthy, but I was educated enough. So I was like in the inner circle, if you will, which is a great privilege. And what I have found, and I maybe it's a tip on my shoulder, but there's a lot about this, how we understand work and status and how when we say those things and we diminish these entrepreneurs in their very early stages, because all of the founders that I know have cuts in their hands, stains, they had burns, you know, all of us. And I see that there's like this snobbish thing where it's like, why would you demean yourself to doing that? But those are from people that have never put themselves in the trenches and probably Absolutely. never will. Because they're afraid. And it's their own projections of their own fears of themselves. Absolutely. And has no reflection on you doing your business. So I hope anybody listening hears and understands yeah. that. Yeah. Now I know that. You know, <laughs> now I know that. But when I was getting started, it was like, what the hell are you doing here? Like, did you leave a cookie job at Procter & Gamble to bake cookies? Why? And I was, you know, like the, the hardest thing that I think that people have a hard time. If you don't have a boss and you're starting, the amount of discipline and willpower that you yeah. need to have. Mm-hmm. To, in my case, it was I will wake up at 5 a.m. I will bake whatever it was that I had to bake. I will go to the gym, go back to whatever I was having to do. But most of those days, I didn't really have a client that I needed to deliver something to. I was just testing stuff. And just getting yourself disciplined enough, it is such a skill and requires so much of you. It really does. It is self-disciplined. And that's the whole point. It's like, oh, I have this freedom. Then there's no boss. It's like, actually, you have a boss and it's yourself. Which is even worse. Yeah. And then if your business even works and you raise money, your boss is your investors. Your boss is your customers. Your boss is like everybody else but you. Yeah. That idea that being an entrepreneur is going to be liberating and free. Yes, the most misguided thing ever. It will be at some point. And that's what you're working on. I think that I don't think anyone will put themselves through this if they were not like hoping to really make something out of themselves. But until that day comes and that they can be 10 years away or can just not not happening. Yeah, most likely it won't happen. Let's just talk about the statistics here. Like most likely it will never work out. For a lot of people, unfortunately, but that's the difference between I think the person that's going to push through and make it is the one that perseveres and is going about it and building a business for the right reasons because their heart is really in it. They don't want to do anything else with their time. They want to wake up at five in the morning to work on their business. 
that's what separates the winners from the people that give up. Absolutely. Their work is its own reward. Like the building is its own reward, I think. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. <laughs> and now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. When was the last time you looked in your spice drawer? If you're like me, you probably have to look at it every time you cook, which is a lot. And it looks like a complete disaster. Different size seasonings, different brands, it's a mess and totally uninspiring. That's until I discovered Evermill, the most beautiful and inspiring spice rack I've ever seen. And it looks gorgeous both on your countertop for everyone to see and compliment, or it looks great in your spice drawer too. Not to mention, they send you refills in compostable packets that you can get delivered straight to your door simply by sending a text message. So if you're looking for an amazing gift idea, you have to check it out. They also just released two new products, a white marble salt well and an aluminum pepper mill perfect for the person who you think has everything. You can get 15% off by using the promo code stairway15 on evermill.com. That's 15% off site-wide for the first time ever using the code stairway15 at evermill.com. Do you struggle to find time to go to the gym or even just work out at home somehow? What about the ugly weights you're probably hiding in your closet or under your bed? Out of sight, out of mind. Am I right? Meet Equipped, a female-founded luxury fitness brand with a no-pressure approach to movement that creates gorgeous weights that look so good, you can place their U-shaped weight called the U-bar on your coffee table and your friends will probably think it's a new art piece. Or if you're on the go, just throw on their U-wrap super stylish vegan leather ankle weights so that you can get a little workout in while running your errands in style. Featured in everything from Vogue to the Financial Times, Equipped makes it easier to move through life. And if you're looking for a great gift idea this holiday season, you can get 20% off on EquippedMovement.com using the promo code STAIRWAY20. That's 20% off luxury fitness equipment using the code STAIRWAY20 on EquippedMovement.com. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. It's really tough out there. That's for sure. Lots of competition. So where did you get the idea for Wonder Kicks? Tell us the story behind how you got the idea to call it Wonder Kicks. First off, where'd the name come from, right? Like, tell us the story, the founding story. Well, the founding story, there's two founding stories because we started in Guatemala and then we set it up here. I'll give you the quick one in Guatemala. I had a lot of free time because a ton of PTO. I took the whole month of the summer. So this is during your PTO? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like archaic terms that I don't know what they mean anymore. But, you know, like for the audience who may have some. The founders don't really get PTO. Yeah, I know. No, this was back in the day. Back So I miss like those traditions because we grew up baking cookies and when we went to college and got jobs and girlfriends and whatever, like that doesn't really happen anymore. Like you lose those traditions and I miss them. So I had all of the month of December free. So I went and decided that I was going to make 24 types of cookies because I felt like Martha Stewart. And I think I landed at 18 and people were like, oh my God, I love this. You should sell them. And we're like, yeah, maybe. But with time, it really started to take shape. And that's what became in Wundercakes. And Wundercakes was kind of an inside joke. I was like this annoying, precocious child. I was six and I must have been so annoying. Like not looking back, like adorable, annoying, but you know. 
And so I was like the Wunderkind, which is boy genius in German. So Wunderkind made a lot of sense for the cookies. And that's what it was. But the more interesting origin story is what well, we decided we wanted to get married. We moved to Austin. We started doing the farmer's market because we needed to make a living. And for South by Southwest of last year, no, of 2020, we had 25,000 cookies ready. And then South by got canceled because of the pandemic and we're stuck. And we had a crappy Squarespace website, but we were not thinking of e-commerce at all. We was not on our radar. Like really, I didn't know that Shopify, for instance, was a thing at all. But people were super kind and saying, hey, are you like your regular customers? I know what happened to you. Maybe I can help. I would love to send some cookies to my mom or whatever. Yeah, sure. So we got like 50 orders out of that. Awesome. And so we went to sleep on, that was on a Friday. We went to sleep on a Sunday. Okay, we'll ship those orders tomorrow. We'll figure it out. Take it one day at a time because we were in a really tough situation. And when we woke up, turns out that Bessie Phillips tweeted about us, ordered like $500 worth of cookies for herself. And we went viral. And next thing we know, we had 700 orders to fulfill from 50 to 700. How did you go viral? I don't understand. So this one person... Yeah, basically, she's an actress. She has like a, she's oh. huge on Instagram. So that's how big. And next thing we know, we have Vanity Fair calling and the Wall Street Journal and CBS. And so we basically, be- are you saying that like a social media influencer essentially discovered you guys at a farmer's market in Austin? No, not even. Not even. We just were tweeting about it. We had this thing that was hashtag and this crew emoji because we were screwed. People thought it was very funny. And I guess she ran into it on Twitter and like we didn't, didn't know her at all. Like it's not like someone did the favor. No, you just she ran across the tweet, she bought cookies, she liked the story, and she tweeted about it. It was insane. I didn't so even that, have a UPA. That produced 700 orders, just her tweet. Yeah, but that was that day. The 25,000 cookies by the end of the month, that was March 2020. We had sold the 25,000 cookies and then another 10,000. It was nuts. I mean, we went from a farmer's market business in February to we launched a Shopify website in April of that year. I needed, I had to learn how the hell to set up a Shopify website because I didn't have money and I didn't have anyone to do it for yeah. me. I had to figure it out. And I said, like, we have two weeks to figure it out. And in May, we were doing $150,000 in revenue. And it kept going. Next thing we know, we're doing $5 million. It was insane. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. But you know what's simply interesting is like everyone who is in e-commerce is very aware of the iOS 14 privacy changes that really wrecked everything that has to do with e-commerce. And it happened to us too. And it got really rough because the problem with growing so fast out of nothing is that without thinking of the financials of it is that you put yourself in a very difficult position. So... For us, the iOS 14 thing was a blessing in disguise because it made it super hard. And it also made us like, we are so sick of cookies. Like, this is so hard. Why are we doing this? We don't care about cookies. So we started thinking, what do we care about? And at the end of the day, what we found was that we kept going back what Austin did for us and how Austin being our safe space allowed us to thrive. And we kept going back to what does it mean? Like, what is the thing that motivates you to buy but it's an expensive cookie at the end of the day or any sweets. And where we landed was that Wunderkeks origin was about this. It's not about the cookie itself. It's about the ritual behind sharing it. So we decided we're going to explore what do we need to give people for them to really connect 
with us, with our mission, with our values. And then the cookies become an accessory to that. The cookies are a tool. They are the physical manifestation of this. But we think like, think of a birthday cake of, or think of a baking cookie with grandma or going on a Sunday afternoon with your dad to get ice cream. Those little rituals are like the places where you get to share who you are, which was something that for me and Luis, it took us a long time in our lives to feel that we were in a place where we could share who we were. And what we kept thinking, one incident happened that that really motivated all of this. We sent cookies. Oh, Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons ordered cookies. And we saw the label and we're like, okay, we'll email him. Are you D, Dan Reynolds? And he said, yes, I am. Oh, nice to meet you. And we told him the whole story. And it turned out that he had an organization called Love Loud, where they set up a music festival to support LGBTQ youth in Utah. So, oh, awesome. Why don't we do something together to raise funds? So for Pride, we did this thing where we made a special edition box. It was like a very Pride box. And it was the first time we were talking about ourselves as gay men. It was obvious we were there on our Instagram all the time, but we were never like saying, yeah, we are proud gay men. We sent an email to 200,000 contacts and we got so much hate. It was horrible. Like, Oh my gosh. Like we got, I hope someone comes into your kitchen and shoots you. These cookies are going to give you AIDS. I would have never purchased had I known that you were gay, you are promoting sin, and so on and so forth. It was horrible. What that triggered was when the initial order happened was, how is it possible that us, Hans and Luis, who come from Guatemala, who left their home country because they were not accepted, and then we come to Austin, we're here a year and a half. Oh, and we forgot. Now, like we forgot. We It was such a surprise for us. Like, how is this possible that it's such a surprise for us that homophobia exists? Wow. You're like, we thought we escaped this. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. You don't escape it. And it's very irresponsible. Yeah, we're in Austin and it's awesome. I mean, yeah, LA, New York. Yeah, great. And we're very privileged to live in these bubbles which good for you. And I hope everyone comes and enjoys them. But the reality is that you don't get to say, oh, this doesn't exist just because I'm not experiencing it. Because at the end of the day, the ones who have the privilege are the ones who can like hold space for others. So that was the first half of the month. But the second half of the month, after the horror, we had calls with Dan, we had calls with Glad, we had calls with everyone like, what are we doing? Are we going to go back to Guatemala because everyone hates us? So the second half of the month, we started getting from parents saying, hey, thank you for doing this because I think that my kid may be queer. I don't know. And I just want to make sure that if he wanted to talk about it, he wanted to talk to me when he's ready, I'm here and I will support him. So I got the cookies and we had a very like conversation. Oh, this brand of cookies, they do this thing. They're a gay couple. And that was a lot, I think. That really helped because now I feel like I can signal, hey, I'm here. So if he wants to come, he will. And we got a few of those and that really planted the seed. So this is what we're doing. This is what those cookies mean. Then we started like feeling, okay, so if that is true, that idea of allowing that safe space, because that's what you're doing, but you're signaling, hey, I got the quote unquote gay cookies. Right. That's signaling, oh, you are okay with the gay people. Awesome. <laughs> and that's something that as a child who yeah. is grappling with that is great to know. It's facilitating so, conversations. 
Exactly. It's literally a cookie that facilitates the conversation about yeah. sexuality. About wow. you know, that's how it started. Jeff Furman from Ben and Jerry's, he's one of the founders of Ben and Jerry's actually. And he's the president of the Ben and Jerry's Foundation. He's in our board and he said, This is great, but oh my gosh. <laughs> the but don't you love that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But the thing is that you're talking about yourself about your experiences gaming, which is great. But you're talking to a bunch of different people. And what you really, the power here is that you don't just get to talk about yourself, is that if you ask for them to listen to what you're saying, they are going to demand that you listen back. And it's only fair that you listen back. And what you're going to find is that very different people are going to be able to identify with what you're going through. And at that time, we are like going through talks with PCs and what have you. And it really clicked, like even because that was our example, like a white man in his 50s who has the power to write you a million dollar check can also relate to what you're going through. That there is a need for that safe space or for that place where you don't have to code switch, where you're comfortable, where you are not projecting whatever you feel like you need to project. And we think that the world is better off if we don't have to in general. So it became not about the queer community, it became about how those safe spaces get to be enjoyed by everyone. How do we hold space for each other? And the last part of that puzzle was, that's awesome, but who is purchasing the $40 dozen of cookies? At the end of the day, is someone who's affording a $40 dozen of cookies is very privileged. Like That is the reality that I think in my space, in our space, in the retail space, it's very easy to forget that what you're selling is a luxury product. Because for you, it's just cookies, business as usual. But the $40 dozen of cookies, the $50 lotion, the $200 pen, those are luxuries. And you need to be aware of that. But the point was that, if that is true, I don't need to explain, for instance, to a Black man the need for a safe space. They have experience with that. The person I need to explain is to think of a girl who grew up in LA around so much diversity. She's white, she's popular, she has gay, black, uh, Asian friends, what have you, you name it. Because she sees it as so normal, she is the one that needs to be aware of the privilege that she holds because she's the one who gets to share it. But what happens is not that she is evil and doesn't want to share her privilege. It's just that a lot of times she's not aware. She's not aware of her own power. So that is the people that need to listen to this. Of course, the other ones know. They know. Believe me, they know. We have. I know. But you need to find like this person and like, yes, you have this power. Use it. Learn to use it. Learn to have the conversation. Learn to understand the plight of the other people, not just you. And we are all, at the end of the day, we're thinking of pecking order of sorts. So and it is very important not to play the oppression Olympics because we could all complain about someone who is being nasty to us. We all have all been in that place. But there's really a, a hierarchy. And particularly for quote unquote coastal elites, I don't like that term, but it really explains some things. You need to know that because otherwise what happens, like it happened to us a year and a half after leaving our home country because we couldn't get gay marriage. Imagine like this girl who is 25 and has never had to deal with it. Why would she know? So we're helping her know. And the response has been great. My people love like it clicks. It really clicks. That's really interesting. 
It kind of reminds me of the women in industries that are mostly male dominated, right? Where it's like, and then you have all these like female, like founders, maybe even like female groups. And they're like, we've got to get those male investors to invest in women. Let's all just rally together. But if you just have like a bunch of women in a room, you're not really creating a lot of change. You've got to bring in the men too to say, hey, we all need to participate in holding space, like you said, and providing change. And there's so many different things, like you're saying, sexuality, race, gender, like all of these things. It takes everybody, it takes everybody to be involved. Yeah. And it's become kind of toxic too, because even politics, like the attention economy in politics has become who yells the louder. And the thing is that no one's listening to the other side. That is a behavior that is, I think, is more apparent in politics. But you even see it a lot of time, even in groups that are trying to engage, do good. An example that comes to mind is PETA, who do all of these stunts in the name of animal rights. That is not going to ever convince anyone of not wearing fur, for instance. It's preaching to the choir. And there's a lot of that. Like, you see it in politics, like the conservative versus liberal side. Like, most of us are probably in the middle of those two extreme sides, but the ones who are making the noise are the extremes. So that is a behavior that we need to change at every level. That idea that it is my fantastic opinion because I am right. Because, I mean, of course I am right. I am writing my expectation to be treated not as a second-class citizen because I'm a gay man. Yeah, sure, I am right about that. What I need to understand is what compels the other side to not feel that way? And a lot of the time we say they must be assholes. Probably they're not assholes. Probably they're the product of their situations. Probably they have a misunderstanding. They are the victims of hearing that gay men were perverts. You know, all of those things. So it's very easy to dismiss them as evil, but that doesn't do anyone any good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how has fundraising been? I know last time we spoke, like when we were first, I guess, talking, you were in the midst of trying to raise around and it was super challenging. I just remember seeing tons of like posts on LinkedIn, like we're raising here. You can go to, you know, you are really, you guys have been rallying and working so hard. How was the round and how much did you guys close? It's actually very funny because never raise around out of fear and out of desperation. And we didn't know that. We didn't know. Actually, I literally bought, when I had my first meeting with someone, I literally bought VC for dummies or venture capital or private equity. I don't know. For dummies, but capitalists, because I needed to understand the lingo. We didn't know anything. and We didn't have like a clear idea of where we were going. And we had a ton of conversations with a ton of people. And there was interest with a ton of the people who said like, we love it, but call us when you need $20 million. And we definitely don't need $20 million. And then... Uh, what we realized was that not that we were not an investable business, because I think we were, but we didn't have a clear direction and that it was, and two things happened. It was not fair to ask of investors, and this is the thing I found that founders make the mistake of. It's not fair to ask of investors to say, hey, give me money and I'll see what I can do with it. It is a mistake. That was the first. And the other was, we're really talking about all of these things, about the mission, about what we want to do. And it's a very fair question to say, I love what you're doing, but how does that make me money? Because that's what an investor wants. And on the other side, it's very fair also from people who are invested more on the impact side of it to say, hey, I love what you're doing, but I'm concerned that this is just a marketing ploy and it's not something that you truly believe and truly expect to create impact. So 
once we got that clarity that those two things could be seen and could be understood as being in opposition, that say, okay, so what we need to do is have a clear idea of what fits where and what is the strategy. And now we have a strategy because actually we ended up calling off the race. We didn't raise any money. We figured out, we said, we're going to survive and we're going to have like a super strong plan. We're going to find all of these opportunities that we want. So now, for instance, our cookies are going to start flying in April on all Virgin Atlantic flights, for instance. That was an opportunity that came out of the exploration of this thing, not out of like some favor. It was about getting excited, the right people. So we learned to do that because you see, it's really easy to say that all of your problems are going to be solved with money and then go after the money. And then you see these companies that how the hell did this company crash? They raised like a hundred million dollars. And it's because they didn't have a plan. So in our case, we say, okay, what do we need? We want to go to retail. We want to grow. We want a hundred million dollar exit at least. That is like they're even learning to say that. What is it that you want? Yes, I want a hundred million dollar exit. And at that time, Wunderkes was our baby. And oh my God, how are you going to criticize my baby? No, you don't have the right to talk about my baby. And we did the work of understanding Wunderkex as the business the way it was and to understand it separate from ourselves and separate from our own identity. So we say, okay, so we have a strategy. What is the strategy? One, we need to build uh, the capability so we can go to retail. Awesome. What do we need? We need to hire these people. We need to go through this, that, 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 that. We need to create, to create the audience for our products so that when we go to retail, people know about it. Okay, how do we do that? We're going to do pay that. We're expecting a 90-day profitability with that, 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 that list. We need credibility because that problem that I mentioned earlier. Are these guys just bullshitting us? So we need credibility. How do we do that? We need to find the right people to behind us. How do we do that? Actually, we're launching a foundation so that we can split the business, the strictly business from the strictly mission oriented. And they benefit from each other. But at the end of the day, both have measures of success. And every single thing that we're doing has measure of success. So I cannot say anything yet. Fingers crossed. We may have gotten our frown close and actually a little oversubscribed. And we got probably an interesting couple million dollars donation for our foundation. But it all comes from this clarity, because now I can tell you in, what are you doing? We're building capabilities, credibility, and audience. That is everything that Wunderkes is doing. Everything that doesn't fit there, I'm not doing. I'm not spending money on anything that doesn't promote us. And I am very aware that every time I spend a dollar here, I cannot spend it there. That is the way that you can talk to an investor because then it's like, okay, so this clarity, I cannot deny it. Here are the numbers, here are margins, here is everything. How do you deny that? Like, oh yeah, I'm interested here. So. It is, it's been a learning process. And I would say that when we were starting to raise, we were in a really tough position, but we didn't have, at the end of the day, you can say founders tend to complain about investors a lot, but that I think that's a mistake. This, you need to learn to put yourself in, in investor's shoes and say, that is what they're looking at. And once we did, then we could also, we found out like, oh, Dennis doesn't have to compete. Like... We can do the mission thing that is important to us. We can do the business. We can get the big exit, hopefully. And we don't have to compromise them because you have clear metrics for each. Because someone told us, it's very funny, but someone told us, an investor, yeah, you need to tone it down. This is very gay and I don't think it's going to play. So I'm thinking that Costco, for instance, is going to close the door on your faces. 
And it was very funny because, frankly, it's a little miracle that Costco reached out to us and not the other way around. You know how difficult it is to talk to those people? Like, they don't want to be found. So it's been a learning process. Well, I like what you said. You have to learn to put yourself in investor shoes. And that's exactly right. And I'm glad that it sounds like you learned early on to try to separate yourself, your identities from the business. And that's really hard to do, especially early on. It's glued together. They're the same thing. And there is a point when the company gets big or you have to fundraise where you start to realize, okay, they're not criticizing me. I need to start separating my own emotions from this. This is the business and they need certain things from this business in order to even be, you know, considering it for investment. So and you need to have to be able to have the conversation and like have the hard conversation and ask the hard questions. No one wants a wallflower of a founder. There's two things that I learned. One, it is as much an op- meeting an investor is as much as opportunity for you as a founder as it did for them as investors, if not more so, if not more so, because the dollars are going to be the same regardless of where they come from. And the other thing is go to therapy. <laughs> that really that? allowed me to go to therapy. Go to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. That really allowed me to understand, I guess, the constellation I live in and have a healthy understanding of the business. Because if the business fails, I'm not going to die. I'm going to be all right. And it yes. took me a long time not yeah. to feel that way. Yes. So once that's that happens, really important. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're comfortable giving, oh, this interesting uh, advisor, we're going to give them a little piece of equity. And you feel okay about that because it's not your baby. You're not putting it. You kind of felt like you were cutting a toe of your baby to give it away to someone else. <laughs> right. No. That is the red flag, not a red flag. It is a red flag for yourself. If you think that when taking investor money or giving away equity feels like you're giving your child's toe or cutting it off to give it to someone else, you have the wrong Uh, mindset about your business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's something that you just need to work through and really do the work and really question yourself and what you're doing. And once you get there... It's so tough, right? Because you have to have that passion early on to feel like it's your kid's toe. Uh But you also have to be able to switch it off and be able to not be about it. (laughs) Yes. But it's like being a parent. The child is leaving for college. Awesome. Even, Good for even him. just daycare. Let's just talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> My kid just started daycare two weeks ago. So I'm in that boat. <laughs> there are no investors for that. That is the problem. I wish yeah. there was that. But yeah, no. Once you get there, it becomes, I mean, it becomes ever more challenging and more complex and yes. more yeah. a lot of things. And but very different. It's a whole different game, but also it is a very exciting place to be. It yeah. is like it becomes not how am I going to go through today? But it's about, wow, this could be so much more than it is. And the thing that I need is just to dream bigger. I need to think of this bigger because our little farmer's market stand is going to be at Costco. And if it can be at Costco, it can be at Target. And if it can be at Target, it can be everywhere. Right. I want big, big visions ahead. So I know we don't, we're we're at time now. So I want to make sure I ask, you know, I tried your cookies. Your cookies are amazing. I had all three flavors and they're all gone. Normally I like try to save them, but you booked this interview too late out and I couldn't hold back. So they're literally all gone. Oh, you're going to freeze them for next time. (laughs) I can't. No, they were so good. Like I had one every night. Thank you. I don't know which one's my favorite. I love the brownie one. 
That one's really good. It's so soft. And then the one with the coconut flakes in it. Oh, which, that is a, yeah, that is my favorite. That is my favorite. What's that, that one the, called? The everything cookie. That the is everything the thing cookie, because there is everything in there. And I at first <laughs> bite, I was like, I don't know. I could leave the coconut out on this one. Like I'm not a huge coconut flake person, but then it gets you. And by like the third cookie, you're like, yep, is there... <laughs> They're my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that is the one that I'm the most proud of. It's just a very good cookie. Like the rest are great, but that is like such a a mix of texture and it everything. is, yeah, texture yeah. and they're all delicious. So, what is you know next for Wonderkex, and what's some final advice you have for the entrepreneurs tuning in today? What's next for us? Well, we are hopefully we had a meeting, a very promising meeting this morning. So I think we're going to to get to Costco. Wow. I'm excited for you guys. Keep me posted when that launches. I got a Costco near me. It's going to be Costco in California, actually. The Woodland Hills one? Uh, Costco in California general. Like, we oh, need to all out of them. Oh, I was exactly. like, are you yeah. launching in my store? We can launch <laughs> I feel your like store. until you become a parent, you're like, oh, it's at Costco. We can launch in your, I will go to Costco. We can launch in your store, but only if you come with us and help us, like giving away samples. But that is what's next. Where very excited about like doing all of these things where the mission and the business really go together and to convince and this is what we want to really make sure that the partner is aligned with this so if we have like all the credibility then we can go to target and say hey this is important for us we want to display this in the store because and this is the type of thing that i also want Mm -hmm. but as an advice i'm gonna like hone down on it, like get a therapist if you're a founder because it's super rough and the level of self-doubt is so big. And if you're not dealing with self-doubt, that I guess good for you, but <laughs> you may need therapy. No, they're it. just not being honest with themselves. I think everybody or they has. Are psychopaths. Yeah. Or they're just yeah. not dreaming big enough. That's also if, true. Yeah. But it also helps so, so much. It really did so much for me. I cannot have my therapist. And it sounds like really like white people problems. Oh my God, my therapist. But it really allowed me to focus and to understand like what are my failures, the things that are not my failure, the things that are just like, well, this is life. That's how it happens. Because it's very easy as a founder to think that you carry the world on your shoulders. And I have a secret for all founders that I always tell like young kids that are starting up something off. You really are not the main character of the universe, even if you do feel like that all the time, because I understand the impulse to like main character syndrome is a thing, but you're not. And your cookie company that you love and it's beautiful or cookie company or whatever it is in our case, it's in the grand scheme of things, not that important. So it's very important to say like your failures are just small scale failures blips on the radar blips on the radar is how i like to think of it exactly so have at it like look at elon musk and what he's doing now that is a problem but oh the cookies burn cookies burn let's bake them again and see what happens exactly well hans thank you so much for being on the show it's so fun to see you again and hear more about your story and congratulations on all your success i know you had a point where you thought it might be over i'm glad to see you've always had this resilience about you where you always just find a creative way to solve a problem that i think most people would find impossible to get through so congratulations to you and i'm excited to see you guys get in costco and take over thank you we're going to california so we'll definitely have to get together 
Well, like we're going to California like next month, so we have to get together. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.